Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me are Kip, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell, also from Dogs 24-7. Football's back in Athens, folks. Football's back all across the country. Uh, we've only got a couple more Saturdays until we see some football. I guess only one more Saturday without football now. And, uh, you know, it's an exciting time of year. Preseason camp started for Georgia on Friday. Before we get into all that, Rusty and Kip, how's it going for you guys? Kip, I'm I'm doing great, man. I just uh, ready to start seeing some football on Fridays and Saturdays. I think I got maybe almost two quarters into that Hall of Fame game of watching some uh, backup Falcon Falcons players out there fighting for for roster spots. It was it was a form of football, which was uh, good enough for me for at least twenty twenty five minutes to where I. Uh, you know, clicked off and and uh, started watching some some of my shows, but it was good to see that there's a form of football being played right now, and I'm I'm ready to to get cranking with some you know some actual football games and not uh, the Falcons having to play five preseason games instead of four and get more guys hurt before uh, ultimately going eight and eight this season. Jason Stanley had a pass breakup in that game. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah but- between seeing Jason Stanley out there, you know, uh, it, it was crazy seeing him, and it was crazy seeing Brennan Langley out there playing wide receiver. You know, just this the uh, a couple of uh, interesting collegiate careers and two guys just trying to uh, to make it in the league. It, it's fascinating to see all the twists and turns out there. What's going on with you, Rusty? I got a chance to go to my high school i graduated from pepperell high school last night they used to do a midnight madness and the thing about that is you're having teenagers and families and stuff on the road past midnight so they did last night a midnight quote unquote midnight madness uh, started practice at 9 p.m last night great crowd band atmosphere tailgating man really got me uh, into the mood of high school football I made my schedule for this week uh, I'm going to see a game on Wednesday night. I'm going to see a game on Thursday night. I'm going to see a game on Friday night. Uh, high school football in Georgia is here. Outstanding uh, feeling last night to get to see that. So, really, the juice is flowing. Uh, like Kip said, interesting. I'll touch on that real quick on that note. Talking about Jason Stanley and, you know, Brendan Langley out of Kell High School, who originally went to Georgia for a year. You know, he's been in the league for a while, which is crazy. He switched from defensive back over to wide receiver. I made some calls to some NFL guys, and here's what I heard. You start talking about guys like Terry Godwin, Elijah Holyfield, and and Jason Stanley. Kind of the rule of thumb to make it, you have to be able to start on two special teams. If you're starting on two special teams, you're going to make that roster. So it's going to be interesting to see if those guys as really long shots make it this time or they're practice squad players, but rooting for all those guys, but – Jason Stanley in particular will be one to watch because Kip knows this as well, recruiting him. All, all, all three of us covered him. You know, that's a 10-700-meter guy in a 200-pound frame. So, uh, athletic-wise, he's got it. Can he play defensive back? Can he make that adjustment? Obviously, we'll see. But guys need to be able to start on two special teams to make those rosters. And and Jason Stanley was a, was a, a special teamer while at Georgia. I think he played on just about all of them. Uh, if not three out of four, or he was 
he was uh, a guy that Kirby couldn't talk enough about and, and the contributions he made on special teams. It's pretty cool to see him catch a touchdown pass there in his final season and, and have a chance to make a big player too on speed sweeps and things of that nature. Freak athlete. And, and I, I didn't know if he was going to be flexible enough to play cornerback, but looked pretty good on that play in the red zone. That's kind of going to be something that he's that's going to be an area where he's going to be a little bit better, but, but uh, I, th- I thought it was a pretty good play and, and was also a little bit surprised that he moved over there. You know, I kind of saw him as a, uh, as a, uh, a seam Osgood type player, the kind of guy that could, uh, uh, you know, big wide receiver that could run and cover kicks and, and do all that. But let's jump into preseason camp and I'm going to lead us off today and, and talk about some of the things that, that, you know, just, just the vibe around the, the preseason camp. I mean, if you're, if you're a member over at dogs two, four, seven, and this is for members only, couple of 1500 word practice reports from the first two days of practice wrote everything i saw and heard you know every rep every every uh you know everything a coach had to say anything that that i could hear or see i write it and 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 go with it and and it tapers off a little bit as camp goes because you end up saying a lot of the same stuff with different people and so you try to kind of hone in on certain position groups and get a little bit more detail oriented uh but but just the vibe in general one thing stood out to me uh, about the the interview, you know, the interviews and and watching the team a little bit, and, and I wrote a story on it. And it was Jake Fromm talking about how he felt like the team had more of a brotherhood this offseason. Yeah, talked to Monty Rice and and you know went fishing with some guys from the offense and defense this year. That uh, there's just more of an interest in each other. There's just more of a there seems to be kind of this uh, this bond that's kind of building in this team. And listen, that's not going to win you a game. But it's going to help you prepare to win games. It's going to help you earn trust uh, from your teammates. It's going to help you be able to call your teammates out because you know you spend quality time with these guys off the field, and they know that you care about them. They know that that it's nothing personal when you chew them out on the field and for for something they do wrong. And and that really stood out to me. Another thing that stood out to me is just the energy uh, that that I've seen at practice thus far. Uh, even from the freshmen, you know, it's, I, I've seen one or two freshmen hands on hips, huffing and puffing a little bit, but not much. I think Scott Sinclair has done a tremendous job, and, and Kirby Smart was quick to call out the strength staff as the best in the country, said far and away. Uh, so I, I see a team that's in shape. I see a team that has a ton of energy, and and I do and and I do kind of see that that you know that that leadership kind of coming across. I mean, I I've saw guys giving each other coaching. Uh, I, I think that's key. I mean, that's one thing I really look for when I'm out there at practice is, is you know, is Trayvon Walker getting some coaching from Malik Herring or David Marshall or is is uh, is uh, Xavier Trust getting some coaching from Andrew Thomas or Isaiah Wilson? And that stuff's happening everywhere out there. And and I think that's part of the, the culture that Kirby Smart's built at Georgia. He wants these player-led teams. Uh, he thinks that's the best way to be effective, and, and that's the things you're going to run into. And those are some of the things that, that have kind of stuck out to me thus far. You know, Jake, you've been able to see, again, a couple practices. You know, they don't you don't get quite the same amount of uh, media time as some other SEC teams. I, I remember seeing the, the Auburn undercover practice report uh, over there the other day, and it, it was from 40 minutes of practice in one session. And I remember thinking, gosh, that's that's a whole week or or more than a week of of your media session covering Georgia, but you have been able to see, I guess, maybe twenty five to thirty minutes of the guys in in person. Who are some guys that are kind of standing out to you physically right now? I mean, who who is 
you know, who's winning that first off the bus award for this off season or, or who's some guys that maybe stood out for, you know, maybe negative reasons, needing some more time with uh, the strength and conditioning program. I mean, what are some of your first takes from seeing these guys again? Well, my number one take is the fact that I don't see like this massive major change in anybody. And I think that's a good thing. Now I do think there are a lot of guys that have slimmed down or, or, or trimmed up, maybe moved some weight around, have gotten, you know, significantly bigger. You see that a lot of times with the skill guys going into their second year. But but I think that that it's it's really important that you don't see anybody out there that's put on 15, 20, 30 pounds or, or has lost, you know, 30 you know, 25, 30 pounds. That's when you start making massive changes to your body like that, I think it can hurt, especially when you do it so quickly. I mean, I, I remember, you know, several years ago, um, well, I don't even have to go back several years. I go back to DeAndre Walker last year and listen, DeAndre Walker had a fantastic season, but I thought DeAndre Walker was better as a junior than he was a senior. And I thought he was just carrying a little bit too much weight last year. And, and I think I'm pretty sure he mentioned that to us prior to the Sugar Bowl. I'm mean, not the Sugar Bowl prior to the SEC championship game in media availability was was he felt that he was probably need to be playing just a little bit lighter than he was and that, that he had gotten a little bit too big too fast. I mean, sometimes, you know, gaining weight for these guys is like a door being opened. And once the door is open, they can gain all they want. Uh, for me, that happened around, I don't know, 30 years old. And, and, and so that's some guys kind of work like that. And But I don't see any of that with Georgia's players right now. And I think that's a really good thing. No dramatic changes, but I see a lot of like gradual change in, in, in several guys. And, and I think one of those guys, I, I pointed to it whenever I saw him at Camp Sunshine this, earlier this month is Trey Blunt. I mean, guys, Trey Blunt's massive. I mean, that that is a he's borderline linebacker size. And, you know, he's been coming along in that way for a while now. But, I mean, he is – that's a yoked-up kid, and, and he is a very big, um, strong kid. And I think he's going to be somebody that's going to help George in the passing game. Uh, I thought Jordan Davis has, has gone the right way with his weight. And I noted in my very first practice report, I felt like he was a guy that, that he's down to you know, probably in the neighborhood of that 320-pound range that Kirby Smart wants him at. And if you're a Georgia fan and you know anything about Jordan Davis's weight, that's got to be music to your ears because he was he was really good for Georgia last year. And, and if he can play at that weight and stay at that weight, uh, this year he's going to be a really, really good football player for the Bulldogs. Richard LeCount's another, and I got a chance. I didn't get a chance to know this in the practice report. I actually left it out, but but as something that I, I definitely wanted to bring up. He's a guy that he has gone from kind of this long, slender uh, – he's, he's still 5'11", but he's long. I mean, if you guys have seen Richard in person. I mean, he's not put together like your normal 5'11". kid. broad shoulders, super long, huge hands, and, and he's the kind of guy that – that you, I didn't know if I would ever kind of be able to say compact frame with him, you know, the kind to be able to hold up to the pounding of playing SEC safety in the SEC. I, I can now. He, he's he's added some weight to his torso a little bit. I think that's going to help him become a little bit better knockback tackler. Uh, he's a guy that I think is kind of beefed up some too. And I'll say this too, DeAndre Swift is a guy that I think is trimmed off a few pounds. Uh, I want to say he – I asked him about it specifically, and I want to say he said somewhere around, you know, five to six pounds uh, for explosiveness for explosiveness purposes, and, and I think that's helping him a lot too. I mean, he's a he is a really good-looking player and, and somebody that I think is going to make a lot of big plays for this team in the passing game and a run game, and, and I know I'm not exactly going out on a limb there. But sticking with the running back thing, Rusty, you got a chance to see Zamir White in person. You've seen the social media. You've seen all of this stuff. 
Uh, kid's not wearing a knee brace, which is, was surprising to me, even though there's no contact. What are the realistic expectations from him, and, and what were your impressions from seeing him in person? You know, and look, I, I'm going to be very cautious with this, and I've been very cautious from day one on our message board. Um, I've never held back in my opinion of him. He was the best high school football running back tape that I have personally seen um, covering, you know, because I've tried to learn through the years and, and different things, but his change of direction, his 10, 500 meters, all that's been well-known and documented. It's also been well-documented. He's had two ACL surgeries. He hasn't had a live carry since October of 2017, okay? And that's a long time. Now, genetically, when you look at him, obviously, Zamir White is that 1% guy. So his body is going to react a little different than most people. Mentally, where is he at? I watched him, you know, me and Jake, when Jake were walking down the hill and, and Jake kind of looks back, I said, I'm going the offensive side. I take a left. We get about 17 minutes. Jake goes to the right, getting all the freshmen. I want to see the wide receivers, and I want to see Zamir White. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be very, very honest here. When you watch DeAndre Swift, who runs number one in those drills, and then you watch Brian Herrian, who runs the number two, and this is not this is just doing the bag drills, run over the bags, doing the the the, the position drills, not team stuff. This is doing the warm up drills with Dell McGee. When you watch him behind Brian Herrian and DeAndre Swift, you have a very noticeable difference. He is not to their speed yet. He can get there. On the first day of what I saw, you take away he had no knee braces, which is fantastic for him, for me and for him thinking about it. But to me, there's a noticeable difference in uh, the speed at what he's doing drills. I don't know if they're holding back a little bit or he's trying to grow into this. Keep in mind, it's been two years now. Now, he did get to go through some of fall camp last year, so he had some of those practices. But um, – you know, and I, I'll say the most positive thing I saw was him catching the ball. Man, he is a natural ball catcher. Kip, I don't know. I mean, Jake, I don't know if you got a chance to see him. That's really the first time I've got a chance to see him do that. And he caught a ball, and I took a picture. And I'm not the greatest photographer, but I took a picture. He's jumped off the ground, both feet stretches high as he can, catches the ball, and it was on a ten yard out. But it tells me mentally, he's just he is out there competing and doing what he wants now. Body frame, body size, all that, man, that dude's there. I mean, he, you saw the pictures, and everybody's excited about that. And um, I don't think it was any surprise. Uh, Jake, I know you've written it before. I know y'all talked to Kirby in Birmingham. I don't think it was a big surprise that he was, quote, unquote, clear uh, to practice. I think that was the expectation the whole time, that he was going to be cleared uh, good to go. Now, I do think he's a little bit behind, so I want to caution people. You're not going to watch him at Vandy, in my opinion, catching 16, 17 touches for 105 yards. He might get four to five touches uh, and play a little more. It may surprise me. I think what you wore, what you watch is where is Zamir White come Tennessee? Where is Zamir White come that bye week? After he has those three or four games to get lathered up, where is he mentally? Because I think his best days are still ahead of him. I think he's going to recover, but I want to caution people uh, just to be careful not to say, hey, he's never going to make it back because if you don't see what you're wanting to see the first half of the season, doesn't mean he's not going to be a productive back. But based off what I saw on Friday, he's still a little bit behind. Uh, we'll see where he is come Vandy, probably the next time we get a chance to really see him 
Uh, I'll see. I'll have some people at scrimmages coming up. They scrimmage next Saturday. So we'll see where he is. Uh, but physically, man, just looking at him, that is a special, special kid. And I'll jump in right here, too. I circle November on on the on the calendar yeah. because, yeah. I, you know, that second bye week, I mean, right. obviously can make a move after the first. But November – and I think November is where it becomes important when you've got five games in five weeks to end the season uh, plus an SEC championship game. There's a lot going on there. But I, I'll say this about him. I've also noticed that the not exactly explosiveness, uh, the explosiveness north and south isn't necessarily there. Yes. But one thing that encouraged me in the second practice, and, and he he looked good and comfortable, more comfortable than he did last preseason to me uh, in the first practice. But when I saw him in that second practice, he was coming off tackle on, on a little zone read run where he took the handoff from uh, from from Stetson Bennett, and Monty Rice flies downhill to fit, and they're just tagging guys up. Obviously, they're not hitting them. But Monty Rice reached to get him, and Zamir was gone. He had already jump cut back to the inside, gotten upfield, and and you know split the seam and was there. Now he didn't look like the most explosive guy in the world or, or himself on film. And you you referenced that film that yeah. I think all three of us have seen, and and I've watched it out of just enjoyment before as well. I mean it's 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 really fun to watch. But uh, it, that wasn't there, but that jump cut was. And when you're start when you're talking about listen. One way or the other, one knee's looking good because uh, he's had both of them repaired, and and, one, and at least one of them's fine because that jump cut was was otherworldly. I mean, that was a that was a DeAndre Swift thing, and he's always been a guy to me that has kind of been a combination of of multiple George elite Georgia backs. He's 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 got he runs angry and with seems like with for his life like no Sean Marino. He's he's powerful like a Nick Chubb. He's fast like a like a Todd Gurley. I mean, he's got all of these different attributes. And and if he can return to himself, if he can turn to ninety five or ninety to ninety five percent of himself. He's going to be a fantastic SEC back. It's crazy. Nobody talks about. We'll save this for another podcast and make note of this, guys. I looked at that. It's crazy. Nobody talks about James Cook. It's crazy. I mean, he's yeah. so, he's so ultra talented. Let's save that for the next podcast. But. Nobody talks about him, and dude, he's so slippery and explosive. And watching him the other day, goodness gracious! So, uh, let, let's save that for the next podcast. I was just sitting here thinking about James Cook and wondering who's going to be third. You know, if if all backs are healthy, who gets more ca- actual carries out of the backfield, James Cook or Zamir White? That's what I. This whole conversation, listening to you guys talk about it, uh, the the one thing stuck in my mind was who 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 comes out of this is. You know, if, if Swift's first and let's just say Herring's second and carries, all things being equal, if both guys are healthy, who's the number three guy? We'll find out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, getting back into this. Um, Chip, our day-to-day job, we, we, we are learning as well with this new Kirby Smart recruiting policy where they – not policy, I, I would say – stance where they're trusting their board it doesn't matter if the young man is from the state of georgia or if the young man's from california or canada i mean they're recruiting in different countries now 
There's a position in the state of Georgia next year that me and you have identified as a very strong one, um, a position that we feel like Georgia may not have to lead the state. You have talked to one of those young men this past weekend. I kind of want to get your vibe on that, and that's the inside linebacker position in the 2021 class. I've had a chance to see both of these guys, um, and and I obviously want to get your take after talking to Barrett Carter, the inside linebacker at North Gwinnett. We also want to maybe touch on Smile Munden out of Paulding County, who's a, a little bit taller guy, six foot three. Did not do any camps this spring and summer. I know of Barrett Carter is a guy that North Gwinnett staff is sky high. He was on campus for the barbecue as an underclassman here the last couple of weeks, that last weekend in July. So it tells me he is a very, very, very high priority. Kip, give me your vibe. You sent me some texts that probably were pretty strong. Give me your vibe on those two guys in state next year. Well, I got to start off, Rusty, by, yeah, agreeing with you that this, this 2020 class, stretching you and me thin as far as Georgia recruiting guys outside the state from coast to coast and just, you know, pinpointing that inside linebacker position. I mean, we're, we haven't covered a lot of guys from the state of Utah in, in the last 10, 12 years. And just going along with that, I mean, we haven't covered a ton of guys from the state of California before, you know, Kirby Smart came on staff and they started just trying to increase that brand nationally. And this cycle, it, it has us covering guys all over the place, like I said, from Justin Flo in California, you know, Noah Sewell in, in Utah. That's where the talent is at the position they've identified. That's where those guys are in that class. And, and that's where they're pushing for, for guys at inside backer in this class if they take a guy. But, yeah, 2021, uh, it, it does look like, you know, it's coming back in state. You know, you look at this position nationally, I, I think, you know, the state of Georgia does have two of the, you know, five, ten best inside linebacker prospects in the country. And they, they are very different. With, with, with Barrett Carter, definitely a guy that's going to play inside in, in Georgia's scheme if they're able to land him. A guy that's 6'1", 205, 210 pounds, a sideline to sideline guy in my mind, a guy that can really run, and a guy that Georgia is pitching on being that Roquan Smith-type player for them. And then you mentioned Small Munden out of Paulding County. Does have a little bit more length. Kind of gives off, you know, more of that Quay Walker vibe, a guy that could play inside or outside, definitely can play inside in Georgia's scheme, but gives them a little bit more flexibility as a guy that can rush the quarterback, you know, blitz inside as well. You know, I did talk with Barrett at length, and and really it goes back to this this event that Georgia had, you know, the uh, the the dog days of summer barbecue event that they had in late July that one weekend that they had open before the between recruiting dead periods where they cannot have guys on campus at Georgia really, uh, you know, they changed it up a little bit before, you know, it was all about the camp. It was all about getting guys on, on camp and working them out. And did have a little bit of a, still a camp workout that morning, that one weekend, but this was more of a relaxed event. This was about getting together with the recruits spending time with the coaching staff and, and that fellowship and, and really every prospect I talked to, it's, it's been refreshing for them because everyone's gearing up for the season, high school and college. So you, you're kind of starting to change that mindset, flip the switch from recruiting to football. And this was a, just a great change of pace for Georgia as well to relax with these guys, to calm before the storm. And I, I honestly think they've knocked it out of the park with Barrett Carter so far. The way that he spoke, 
with Glenn, about inside linebackers coach Glenn Schumann about how he, he got the offer while he was with his team at the seven on seven camp in June with Georgia and, and just talking with him over 10, 15 minutes, it was clear that Georgia was an offer he really wanted. You know, he's got well over 20 offers right now. He's a top 100 prospect in the 24 seven sports composite, but I mean, he didn't hold back with me. He just said, like, Georgia's was my dream offer. I got it. And, and just getting to know the coaching staff, spending time with them, my family being there with me. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to put rankings out there because I'm a 2021 guy, but but Georgia's my number one. I do know that. And he was he just he didn't hold back. You know, you have a lot of guys that are trying to, you know, keep people guessing, don't want anyone to know, don't want to give rankings out there because then you got to tell every other college coach why they're not number one. You know, if you're not number one, then you're, you're messaging the, the kid trying to find out what, what did we do wrong? Why aren't we the leader? And, and kids, you know, they, they want to avoid that because they already get lots of messages from coaches every day as it is with them al being allowed to do unlimited text messaging with these guys' DMs. But, but Bear didn't hold back. And I think, you know, Georgia's positions itself well with him. I think they're positioned very well with him and Smallmundon right now. And, you know, if you're Georgia, you got to love where you are heading into this season. You know, if you're going to take one to two guys at that position, and, you know, I think that's probably around where the number is right now early on, uh, you got to love that you have a couple of guys that are top 100 prospects in your backyard and that you've, you're wow. well positioned with right now. I mean, you go recruit Noel Sewell if they get Noel Sewell. You've been battling with Channing Tindall and South Carolina. You're battling with Monty Rice in Alabama. You're battling with N'Kobe Dean in Mississippi. you got to think Glenn Schumann's thinking, man, we're due for one in state. They got Quay Walker. Uh, if he winds up getting Noel Sewell and, and these two guys next year in state, Glenn Schumann's going to have a really, really good uh, next 12 months in recruiting calendar. No doubt. I mean, the the guys he's already got in the room have been great. But again, Georgia placed two inside guys. And I, if you're Glenn Schumann, you just want to be able to unpack that suitcase for a couple of weeks. I think he's probably he's probably got the same clothes in there and he, he's just had those things, you know, washed over and over again. You, you want a chance to just uh, sit back in your backyard and, and be able to sell Athens as far as being a being two to three hours away from where these guys live and their families for a change instead of just having to push the program, the playing time, you know, the, the being able to play in big time games, all the other selling points that Georgia has. But, you know, they've been you're right. They've had to really push those aspects and kind of fight against the distance aspect on a couple of these guys. And, yeah, with Barrett and Smile, they, they do have that at their advantage. And, and I think it really sets up well in that position room, because, like I said, I like the the different skill set that each of these guys brings to the table. Not saying that both these guys are going to Georgia, but I like where Georgia sits right now with both of these guys. And, and if I'm making that like really early projection, I mean, I think that the Georgia has a great chance to, to lock up both these guys over the next year. If they keep recruiting them the same way, I, I think uh, it, it's probably going to be a battle because we're talking about two guys that again, have 40 offers over 40 offers between them. Uh, but that's what you want. You know, you want to be able to have some in-state guys when you can. And you want to be, you know, you'd rather have a Georgia guy than, you know, a guy seven states away. You're going to recruit a guy no matter where he's from. But, I mean, that, that in-state pitch is really strong and one that, you know, Kirby Smart has said he plans to sell very heavily, you know, 
as the head coach at Georgia, being a former player there and a former assistant there, it's been a big pitch to him. But that it's just the way it's lined up the last couple of cycles. They've had to go out of state and win some big time battles with local programs. I think, uh, you know, again, Glenn Schumann would love to just be able to sell it staying in state. It's a very strong pitch for him. All right, guys. Well, we're going to move on to the last segment of the show now. And uh, pretty sure everybody is is, is going to like this one. We've gotten a lot of feedback. And, and by the way, thanks so much to everybody who has, um, you know, reviewed us and, and left a rating on iTunes and, and everything else. Uh, we've gotten DMs. Uh, Rusty's had some guys reach out to him. We're, we're going to start implementing this thing here at the, uh, at the end of, a, of, of different shows. It's just a story time. And we're just going to talk about some of the things, you know, we, all three of us have a recruiting background. All three of us have been, seen some pretty wild and pretty weird stuff uh, from covering recruiting. We've talked about some of it before. And uh, each of us are kind of going to give one of our more interesting recruiting stories and things that we've covered on the trail. And, and Rusty, I'll start with you. Uh, what's, you know, give us one. Give us one of your one of your better ones that, that you know, you, you kind of maybe won't forget or, or something that – that uh, stood out to you from uh, from covering recruiting as long as you have. Uh, you know, it's not the let me not the juiciest one that I have, or I'll probably we'll probably do this segment more as you said as we go on. But something that really and, I, and I've told this to a couple of people, and I've told it in some you know interviews and stuff. But I'll never forget the morning of the first practice at the Army All American game uh, with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and Elijah Hood who are all three in the NFL, by the way. That was our running back group. Elijah's with the Panthers, and uh, he was you know, from North Carolina. Georgia recruited him, you know, which was crazy, but they locked up Sony and Nick early, so that, that, that he was out. But I'll never forget, now looking back, it's kind of weird because they're so, they're so close, but Nick and Sony, neither, neither one obviously didn't talk. They didn't do many, you know, recruiting interviews. Um, and, and I've told this part of it before. I remember – uh, you know, one of the coaches is, is very, very close to Nick, um, you know, the guy that trains him as well, continues to train him now, called me, uh, you know, after Nick committed, right before Nick was committing, said, hey, what type of kid is Sony? Uh, Nick doesn't know him. Uh, really want Nick in, you know, a good environment, you know, good teammate. And, you know, we hear good things about Sony. Is that what you hear? And I said, absolutely. I said, man, these guys are going to be best friends. I said, they don't talk and they don't know each other but they're going to be best friends. They're just like each other. So, you know, here, here I am the first morning, it's freezing cold. I mean, I'm, it is so cold and it's usually not like this in Texas, but man, that first- he's, he's not lying either. I was there and San, I didn't think San Antonio, Texas yeah. got that cold. I, I, I almost lost, lost a finger that day to frostbite. I remember walking out and, and got on the field and, you know, there's a recruiting process for us. You know, we recruit players to our game. They recruit players to their game in Orlando. I remember Sony had both his hands completely down his thighs, like into his knee pads. He was cold, that, that cold. He looked at me, so I should have went to that damn other game. He was so cold, man. He was freezing, but I stood there with him and they wouldn't talk to each other. It was so awkward that morning in that huddle like they didn't know what to say to each other they didn't know each other they were both committed to georgia there wasn't an early signing day then so those kids were going to play you know and sign in february so as the week went on they they became you know you could tell they were they realized they, they loosened up a little bit but uh, 
one of those just days I'll never forget was how awkward it was. And people don't realize it today. Like now these recruits talk to each other. They take all these visits together. Nick Chubb didn't take all those visits. Sonny Michelle didn't take all those visits. They weren't hanging around each other. So, you know, you go out there that morning and now you see these two guys are best friends. They do everything together. I, you throw in Isaiah Wynn. Isaiah Wynn, Sony, and Nick are together completely together during the offseason. I mean, they, those three are the three amigos. They hang out everywhere together. They're at the spring game, that type of thing together. But I'll never forget that morning, uh, the very first morning of the Army practice, and it was freezing, and those two wouldn't say a word. Each other. I was trying to get some you know, information. Luckily, I snapped that picture that's all over, placed all over, I uh, took that picture of them two together, probably one of the first pictures, I guess, of those two together uh, that, that still circulates today all over the place. So I got lucky with that. But as far as interviewing them and talking to them and trying to get reaction of them two, wasn't happening. Kip, you're up. And, and what you say is probably going to end up determining what I talk about because you and I were involved in one of the more interesting recruiting stories out there. Uh, and if you don't use that one, I'm going to. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you uh, have that one. No idea what you got to unveil. I'm pretty excited to hear what you're gonna tell everyone. But I'm gonna reach back a little bit to uh, back to 2007. You know, it was my second year on the job. Uh, you know, I remember uh, seeing Eric Berry play the you know uh, at Creekside the year before. Seeing him, you know, uh, play against Cam Newton at Westlake was one of the early big memories covering recruiting just an epic game out there in the mud but uh, you know I, I made a five-hour trip just outside of uh charleston northwest charleston to to see a junior wide receiver by the name of aj green uh, i went up to see him and play at somerville it was a home game uh, i think it was it was september 2007 they were playing i don't i think they just got beat by rock hill so i, I think they were probably playing uh i want to say pickens high school it was uh but it, i remember going up to uh the, the stadium all all green for the for the wave and uh coach john uh, mckissick super you know one of the just most elite coaches in all of high school football i mean he had the stadium name for him and he's still there coaching it was incredible um but going to going to see him play i remember he touched the ball three times that night and all three went for touchdowns. One was like a a 180 degree catch. One he he made like three guys miss on a, a just a a little uh, little out route. And then the other one was a punt return for a touchdown, which was probably the most impressive of the three. Uh, it was a route. I think I think they didn't even uh, he didn't even come out in the second half. I think so. Uh, you know the game's over. Uh, you know I'm there trying to get an interview. I walk up and. There's there's this line just going all the way up to uh, the uh, the stadium for for people wanting to uh, to get autographs. I mean, this was not an Instagram. This wasn't a selfie time yet. It was uh, you know it was just people wanting an autograph uh, and wanting uh, to, to to meet him to shake his hand. And it the the most impressive part about that was just seeing that the opposing fans. And then the opposing uh, players' families, and then a couple of the opposing players get in the line to uh, to just get a you know to get a picture with a regular old school camera, the ones that they actually had to get developed, getting the autographs, or just telling them you know it was great to see him play. He was out there. I mean, that game probably ended about 10, 15, 10, 30, and I'm standing there trying to get an interview, and and a security guy 
that was standing there with him. He, he basically had to turn people away. It was almost midnight. Uh, AJ was just out there doing it over and over and over again. And, and the security officer just had to, he had to turn people away. It was like 1146, 11:47. that we'd just been staying there the whole time. And then I, you know, I got an interview with him and, and like you talk about Rusty with, with Sony and Nick, AJ wasn't really about uh, that social life. I mean, it wasn't social media then, but he, it, if there would have been, he wouldn't have done anything anyway. He was he was extremely shy, extremely quiet, and, and just did not have that presence that I, I guess we see a lot now. I'm just going to say it with, with five-star receivers. Those are the guys that just typically do have a little bit of a personality than, than a lot of other positions. That was not AJ. I mean, he was as quiet and as shy as could be. Uh, you know, gave a gave a solid interview. Uh, I'm sure he'd already done plenty of them being a junior. His recruitment was super early. Uh, but just watching that, uh, I was just, it just kind of took me back a little bit. I mean, again, very beginning. Gosh, it's been over – it's been 12 years now, which is kind of uh, ridiculous on its own that I've been doing it this long. But just just watching that was was something that that I'll never forget. And it was uh, just looking back now, it's completely different. I mean, that would I can't imagine what it would have been like trying to get an interview from an AJ Green at a high school like that. Uh, now I don't know if I would have been able to get one. No way. Nope. Wouldn't happen. Not only that, but uh, the, the old story that Steve Spurrier showed up at A.J. Green's school and he skipped school that day so he wouldn't get recruited by Steve Spurrier. I mean, nobody handles their recruitment like that hardly anymore. I mean, I know Dominic Blaylock kind of did, but very rare kid for sure, and, and that's a pretty cool story. It, was, it definitely struck me, uh, opposing, opposing players looking for autographs from the guy that just torched them. Uh, that that's pretty funny. Kip, the one I'm going to go with is, uh, is the, the day that I live in infamy, uh, Kelsey Griffin. Um, the time that we, uh, you, myself, and Kristen Ledlow, all covering for different networks, are uh, are at uh, Mill Creek High School in Houston, Georgia, and uh, we're over there. And and I remember showing up that morning. You go and you saw me, and you go, God, I thought this was a secret, you know, because uh, Kelsey had actually reached out and told more people than I think that he was letting people think, you know, letting on like he had. And he didn't um, tell me, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Rusty I was the Rusty one wasn't there. right there, man. Yeah. Rusty. I, I, I remember now Rusty wasn't there. And I think you and I talked on the phone after that was over. You were like, golly, man, I didn't even know. But, no uh, no but, but, but congratulations, Rusty. Congratulations on not knowing because that was a full day of my life. I'll never get back. Uh, we, we went in, we, we spent a lot of time with Kelsey that day. We all shot videos. We did everything. He committed to Georgia. Um, yeah, I remember we all went to a Starbucks and myself, Kip and Kristen. Ledlow, and, and if you don't know who Kristen Ledlow is, um, she's a lot more famous than all of us now because she's a sideline reporter for TNT covers basketball, does NBA inside stuff with, uh, Grant Hill, a uh, phenomenal reporter, great person. One of the, one of the coolest people you'll kind of ever meet in this business. One of the nicest people in the world. And, uh, we, we all went to a, I guess it was a Starbucks or something like that after the, after the, the thing. And Kelsey was like, yeah, when I tell the coaches, I'll let you guys know. And you guys can all release it at the same time. About an hour goes by. Kelsey's like, yeah, I don't worry about it. Just go ahead. I'll get a call to the coaches later. So we reported big news, breaking all this stuff, got this content to surround it. I mean, it's, you know, we're all thinking, Hey, good days work. I may not even go to a high school football game. Cause it was on Friday. I mean, I didn't even go, I may not even go to a game tonight just because 
why? You know, this big story got all this stuff going on. May take my wife out to dinner tonight. You know, just got all these plans. This is the 2013 class. And uh, uh, lo and behold, I get home. And uh, as soon as I get home, you know, it gets caught in traffic, all that stuff, by an hour, hour and 15 minutes to get back to Athens at uh, that time. Uh, I get back, and, and Michael Carvel uh, of the AJC at the time has a story. Kelsey Griffin's not committed to Georgia. Oh, well, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, well, it's just a, this is just an issue. You know, this is just one of those things. He just hadn't got a hold of the staff yet. And, and you know, no, he he did get a hold of the staff. Staff, you know, told him that they couldn't take his commitment then. So we're all trying to figure out, you know, Jesus, what's going on here? You know, so I, I know I show up at his game that night. Kristen shows up at his game. You ask his mom. She's got one reason why he's not, why the staff wouldn't take his commitment. You ask his dad. He's got another reason as to why the staff wouldn't take his commitment. And just one of those things you run into where, um, you know, and, and quite frankly, I, I think you got a defensive coaching staff there that was a little bit off guard um, as to when the kid was going to commit. And, and that's something you can't do. And, uh, there was a lot of heartache that day. I know Kelsey definitely wanted to be at Georgia. I know his coach, uh, you know, Shannon Jarvis, another one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. I mean, just most down to earth, uh, still text back and forth with him to this day. Uh, you know, I know he was pretty broken up about it. And uh, it, one of the just the weirdest days I think I'd ever experienced because it just went from everybody's so happy. They're happy to get this day over. Kelsey loves Georgia. Kelsey wants to be at Georgia to Kelsey's not going to end up at Georgia and, and, uh, um, you know, all the time and effort you put into it and nothing happened. And then Rusty adds another dynamic to it because he, he, he lucked out and didn't know he was supposed to be there and avoided the whole thing. Uh, in my 10 years, that is the story. I got my ass straight up kicked on. And, uh, for whatever reason, Kelsey didn't reach out and tell me I was trying to get in touch with Shannon after, you know, kind of the news broke, and then probably about an hour later, because I'm about to jump in the car, and I have to drive all the way across the state. I'm, I've got to do what i got to do, and, and this was early on at Dogs 247, and when I kind of got tipped that, hey, well, you know, they're not taking him, I was like, this is going to be wild how this plays out, but I'm going to tell you, I got my ass kicked on that story. At the end of the day, I got, I got to save, but, man, I, I will never forget it, that's for sure. And he had a pretty good career. He ended up in South Carolina. Had a couple starts there toward the end, I, I believe. I think he's back at Mill Creek coaching the D-line last I know he came back last year uh, at Mill Creek to, to coach the D-line. And, yeah, that, 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 was, that was a fun day. And, it, it again, you know, for you guys listening, I mean, this is just part of the roller coaster of recruiting and why it, it is so, so fascinating, why so many people follow it, other than the fact that they want to – see the who's going to play for their team and why their team's about to be, you know be the best in college football but you know that that was a roller coaster of a day and and it, it was uh i know it was you had to have been tough on kelsey because you know commitment video ready to roll ready to roll this thing out there and put it out there and, and did not work out the way he wanted it to but still uh ended up in the sec i think uh you know it, it turned out okay for him and and yeah, Georgia, Georgia just went a different direction that class. I think, you know, with, with Kelsey, I think, you know, uh, he wasn't a six foot five guy, you know, he wasn't a guy that, that had that, that height that maybe Georgia was looking for in that class. But then at the same time, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the cycle they were, they were gunning for Montrevious Adams. Right. So, uh, right. Yep. I think with Georgia, it was just, you know, we're going to try to hit the home run here. Uh, with Montrevious and you know it turns out 
they didn't get it. It, it. it didn't work out. So that was another thing. Would they try to go back and turn around and get back in there with him, but with with, uh, with Kelsey? And you know, they they didn't. It, it's uh, it's fascinating how how it turns out for the different guys. And you look at that that D line class that year for 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 Georgia. I mean, they ended up with uh, I think John Atkins. They were not able to. To get the services of of DeAndre Johnson, you know, I, I believe what he medically he, he was not able to play, and you know, then you got what Chris Mays, Toby Johnson was it was that that class, so yep. uh, it's 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 just uh, fascinating when they make those decisions. It's it's not easy. I mean, they're turning away a guy that is considered a four star guy, but you got to stick to your board, and, and we say that all the time on Dogs Twenty Four Seven. We you know uh, a guy might be considered a four-star guy, top 200 guy, top 100 guy. But uh, if, if that's what your board is right now, you, you got to make that call. You know, when that kid wants to make that announcement and, and make that call, make that commitment, you got to choose whether you're going to give the green light or not on that. And it's not easy. Probably not the best the instance of, uh, of or example of sticking to your board considering how disastrous that class turned out to Georgia. Oh. And it's probably a big reason why Kirby Smart's the head coach at Georgia now. But Oh man, that you know, from everything to taking DeAndre Johnson before you took Kelsey Griffin, and listen, nobody, no, nobody we're talking about here outside of Montrevious Adams ended up being a superstar, and and even he didn't end up really being a superstar. He had a really good career at Auburn, but but never, you know, I don't think lived up quite to the five star billing, even though he was a fantastic player. But just uh, you know, it's one of those things that it's just. It's it's wild, man. It really is, and that was one of the first and more uncomfortable moments I think that that I ever experienced in recruiting. And and uh, it's you know it also set off a chain of events. I mean, it it you know covering Montrevious at the end of that class. I've got stories on stories, uh, you know, coming from uh, you know going down there and and spending time with his high school coach Jimmy Hughes, Clemson yeah. coming. Oh man, Jimmy Hughes. We got to oh, save, oh, save him, Jake. Yeah, we, we got to save him. We got to save him. I'll, I'll wrap that one up here and we'll wrap the show up while, while we're at it. But we got more for you. We got we got tons more for you. Uh, tomorrow at practice, uh, we're, we're releasing this on Sunday night. So tomorrow at, uh, before practice, we're going to get to talk to, to Georgia's new coordinators for the first time, Dan Lanning and, and James Coley. Stay tuned to Dogs 247 for that. We're going to have a lot more recruiting info for you. We're going to have a lot more from preseason camp. Uh, football season, Georgia's football season is 27 days away. Uh, Florida and Miami kick off in 20 days. So college football is on the way, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but, but, hey, before we do that, before we do that, uh, we're going to go with an unofficial sponsor for the show. We're going to talk about Bojangles for a second. And uh, Kip Kip got a chance to try the, what is it, the, the pimento cheese Cajun filet biscuit? Oh, gosh. I did. I did. I knew that I was going to be. Let's review that. Let's review that. I knew that I was going to be on the road Saturday uh, to see some family, and I had to had to make a stop by Bojangles on the way. I mean, I basically built the trip around this uh, this Bojangles. <laughs> which which, which, I, which I, one? Which one? I, I picked the one off Delk Road in Marietta because it's yeah. right exactly where me and my wife needed to get gas. So that was right. I found a, a gas station right next to a Bojangles. That's where we went. And, you know, I, I know that Bojangles, you know, I've been there, I've been there several times. So it was, it was clutch for the location. And, and as soon as I saw they announced that, I mean, I knew, I was like, I got to try this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm completely shocked that I'm the first one on this podcast to, to have tried the, the, this uh, pimento cheese Cajun filet. And I got to say, you know, again, 
you get the Cajun filet biscuit, you know, you know, you're going to get that, you know, great crispiness on the biscuit that the salt levels on point. The chicken has just that little bit of a you know, seasoning to it that gives it a, I'm not going to say kick, but it gives it just a little bit of flavor to, to differentiate it between uh, those other knockoffs out there, uh, Chick-fil-A and all the other ones that are trying to, to get into that chicken biscuit game. But, you know, pimento cheese is something that's really become a love, uh, uh, you know, for me the last couple of years. Just to, having that in my life has been a game changer. And so I, I was really excited for it. I love the idea of it. They pulled it off okay. I mean, it was an all right. You know, the flavor of it was okay. The pimento cheese was pretty solid. If I'm gonna critique it at all, I gotta say that, you know, I'd like to have like some 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 spicy honey on there and some bacon. I mean, I want to go all the way and just knock this thing out as a complete meal in one in one hand. I want to get everything I need out of it in that. So, Two thousand calories. Okay. Yeah, I want I want hey, just not wait. have to eat for the rest of the day. I want it all right there. Uh, you know, I, I'm really interested to try just the pimento cheese biscuit by itself to see if it can kind of carry itself, you know, on its own. Uh, I, I honestly think I might like that one more than the Cajun filet because I like I, I think the Cajun filet is already fine. I mean, I like it the way it is. So that was my overall thoughts on it. I would probably, like I said, get some bacon, get some some some, some hot honey on that thing, and, and, and it's it's a wrap. But Pretty solid addition. The pepino cheese was slightly above average. I, I prefer ones that uh, you know have a little bit more of maybe a poblano pepper presence in them. Uh, but again, you gotta like have something that's gonna play to the masses. And, and I really think that people are gonna love this. And I, I I could see it being a permanent staple on the Bojangles menu. I tell you what, everybody listening to this first thing tomorrow morning is driving straight to damn Bojangles. I guarantee you that. I, I may go get me a I may go get me a country ham egg and cheese biscuit because I'm addicted to those things, man. But uh, yeah, Rusty, man, Rusty's gotten us all kind of kind of loving some bojangles. But we're gonna let these people off the hook, man. I don't know what we've been doing here. I really don't. I don't know. I don't know what we've been doing the best here. Part, best part of the podcast we've ever had. Ever. <laughs> all right, guys, we're gonna wrap it up here. We'll see you guys later this week. We're gonna have a ton of coverage for you. Uh, but that's it for this this uh, this edition of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jake Rowe, Dogs 24/7, Rusty and Kip. We'll see you guys later on. <laughs>